Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, you know, your, your phones, your pads, your whatever, and, and we're going to sort of get a running start and jump into this real quickly. Um, as a matter of fact, we come to this time of the year, and one of the Sundays of Advent is, is about hope. It's the first one, and several years ago, it's the last time we did a series on the Advent of, of the hope, peace, love, and joy that celebrated the traditional Advent through the church, and Advent meaning expectation. The verses of Scripture that, we're, uh, that we leap from this morning is John chapter 1, verse 5, that a light shines in darkness and darkness could not comprehend it. It comes at the end of five verses of an introduction of the Savior coming into the world by John, the, uh, by the gospel writer John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word, the word here, by the way, this is one of those difficult passages, and you know, I will come and go through Christmas seasons and forget to explain this, because so often... You know, there's just forgetting. I've read this 1,000 times, and of course, I know what word means. The, the term word, everybody say word. And notice in most translations, it'll have a capital W. The word, the term word in the original language, logos, watch, means the embodying idea or concept of a thing. I have just given you the definition of what words are. If I were to say bottle, there's many images, the embodying idea or concept of a bottle, I'm holding one of those, a plastic bottle. If I were to add to those words, bottle of water, I've just said words that are the embodying idea or concept of that. Thus, everybody with me? So when it uses the word here, it's fun sticking it in. Actually, I'm surprised the Amplified Bible uh, didn't do it you know, as much as they make 5,000 words out of one verse, I'm just surprised. If you read the, the Amplified Bible, <clears throat> by the way, there's a word, there's, there's a, a point of prophecy that's true, that if you do use the Amplified Bible as your main Bible, you will never finish it before Jesus returns. I just want you to know. So hold that in your heart. Be careful. God's called you to the Amplified Bible. Embrace it carefully. But watch how this reads then. In the beginning was the embodying idea or concept of what? And the, word, and the embodying idea or concept was with God, and the embodying idea or concept was God. He sort of gives it away on the third time around. He said, the embodying or I, uh, and he, he was in, he, watch how it switches, he was in the beginning with God. All things came through him. It's clear the writer intends that the embodying or idea of concept of God is Jesus, the Son of God, born among men in a manger. That's powerful. That is powerful that he said, you've seen him. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And then comes the verse, that light shines in darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. Now, we're going to move for, because I'm going to work my way back to why Christmas is such a message of hope, and why we find hope, but that's not the end of the story. So, starting from this basis, uh, Gabe, it's one of the cues I think I sent you. If I didn't, then you have to help me out. Hope is the grand assumption our current reality is not the final word. That's how we operate in hope. Hope is the grand assumption that the current reality is not the final word. Watch. We hope 
that a new coach at UT for the football team is going to bring us a lot more victories. Okay? I'm going to say this again. Hope is the grand assumption that our current reality is not the final word. Anybody get what? We hope somebody wins a game. We hope something good happens. See, when we use the word hope, it has to do primarily with an emotional and psychological disposition. And it is that. We're going to take it a step farther. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of things what? Hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There are two or three words I want to draw your attention to here, and that's faith, hope, and conviction. Okay? Watch what happens. I'm going to just say these to you, and we'll come back maybe in the weeks ahead and unpack them, but watch this. When hope is informed by faith, it becomes a conviction. When hope is informed by faith, it becomes a conviction. Just leave that there, Gabe, if you will. Let me unpack this. The word conviction is a word used only a handful of times in Scripture. It's used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. It's used to describe a first step taken when you see a brother trapped in sin in Matthew 18. And it's used, one of the places is right here. It said that the Holy Spirit is the agent of conviction in John chapter 16. He is the sole agent of conviction. Everyone look at me. The, the Holy Spirit is not the agent of condemnation. Now, I don't have these notes to put up in front of you, but from memory, let me just say this to you. We often confuse conviction with condemnation. Conviction, conviction, watch, is the work of the Spirit it is based on promise, and it is projecting towards where I'm going or the future. Watch. Conviction is a work of the Spirit. It's based, excuse me, it is uh, based, it is a work of the Spirit. It is a promise, and it speaks to where I'm going, not where I've been. It roots my identity before God in the possibilities that lie in me. You get that? That's a powerful statement because Hebrews 6 points to the Holy Spirit being the agent of the future, of the ultimate realization of all that I will be. He is the spirit of the age to come, the power of the age to come. When we have glorified bodies that are no longer sick, that don't, uh, are, are not covered with disease, just everything about whatever that is, the Holy Spirit is that agent in our future, in our tomorrow, calling us forward. Watch this. Condemnation is the word that's used to describe sin, the flesh, and my past. When it says, there is now therefore no condemnation, but through the Spirit, Paul puts in tension those concepts. We live under the shadow of condemnation instead of the grip of conviction. That's not either. either. Say that again. We live under the shadow of condemnation rather than the grip of conviction. Beloved, I've said this just several weeks ago. I brought this up again, and I didn't mean to take this much time. It had to be a passing note to sort of get where we're going. But when we say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction. You see, here, hope is not just wishing. It's saying, I'm turning my eyes to the possibilities of what might be that is not seen. It is the conviction of things not seen. Please hang with me. What does that mean? If you continue reading the remaining part of the chapter, 
the example used of not seen is the not seen or unseen abode, heaven, future, place of promise, off out in the future. We can't see it with these eyes, and poetically that's what he makes reference to. But please look at me for as many times as I've said it, I fear that my words are limited in trying to communicate what it means. Do you realize there's an unseenness in each of us, in you, in me? There are things yet to be seen that God would work in and through me. When we say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, it is the grip, conviction of things not seen. Father, there are things not seen and not realized. I may not have overcome in this area, in fear, in uncertainty, whatever habit, I may not have overcome yet, but I am held in the grip and conviction that there is a hope of the ultimate overcoming at the end of the age, and I will overcome in this age. I live in the grip of what I might be rather than the identity of where I've been. Can anybody hear me this morning? Beloved, that's what hope is. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the point at which I intersect with a possibility and I move in that direction even though I can't see the ultimate outcome. I begin taking steps in that direction. Once again, when hope is informed by faith, it becomes a conviction. Why is that important? And I, I, ah, I have too much to say. I went over this with Brenda and she said, mm, that's a lot. I said, I know. But it's not gonna stop me anyway. So hate that. Faith, and I don't have, again, forgive me again for the time not to develop it. Faith, I have believed and teach here, is more believing he is. Everything in scripture for me points to that than he can. We use the word faith in regard so often to he can. And it certainly does describe that. And Jesus certainly made statements like that. You know, do you believe I can? but it was always on the back of who he was. Do you know who I am, is. See, can always follows is. And here's the deal. If faith is believing God is, and then he is the rewarder or that God will act, that's verse six of the same chapter. Now faith is the sub, excuse me, uh, uh, that faith, without faith you can't please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he does, he is the rewarder. So it's both halves, I get that. But here's the problem. The only absolute guarantee we have in perpetuity is the isness of God. When he said, I am that I am that I am that I am. Even when the God who is and can doesn't, he still is the God who am. And the ultimate test of our faith is, will I still believe he am even when he can and he don't? Anybody got that? Will I still believe he am when he can and he don't. I know that's bad grammar, but I think we're from the South. We'll remember it better that way. I know I will. Uh, You writing that down? Because I've never said it like that before and I need that. Got it. Work hard, work hard. She says, come on, keep going, keep going. Say it again. Say it again. Oh, okay, I misunderstood. Absolutely, dear. I thought you were telling me to hurry along there. When the God... When the, how did I say it? (laughs) When the God who is doesn't, well, I still believe he am. No, 
I told you to write it down. Did no one write that down? That was really good for crying out loud. Okay, Mason, you did? Then come over here and say it to me. I'm old. Just stand close to the, here you go, right there. Say it right there. When the God who am can, don't, will you still believe that he is? Woo! Man, that's good. I wish I'd have said that. Now, what he's going to do is by this afternoon at 2.35 p.m., he's going to send me one of his spoken words on that. And I'm going to sit there with my jaw drop. I just prophesied. That's Mason. You need to hear some of them. Matter of fact, you will. Okay. We ready to go ahead? When hope becomes conviction, it causes me to redirect my next step to intersect with God's promise. Promise is an important word. When hope becomes a conviction, it's not just something I think, I act. That's why James says, show me your faith by your words and I'll show you my faith by my works, what I do. Do you really have faith in God? The test of it is not just saying it, I'm hoping. No, hoping says, I know what God's put in me. I know the promise he said, the unseen stuff in me that he's going to bring out in me, and I'm going to read God's word, and I'm going to take the next step based on God's word as opposed to what I see around me because faith, we walk by faith, not sight, by what we see around me, based on the word of God. Okay, next thing, my my every next step, this is important. My every next step will determine if my faith has been informed by faith, excuse me, if my hope has been informed by faith or fear. I'm going to unpack that for you, but just leave that one there, uh, Gabe, for a moment. My every next step, what I do next, what you do when you say amen, what will you do when you walk out of this building? I don't mean just standing here singing the song, saying the words, but when you go home, your next step is going to tell you what you believe. When my neck, my every, every next step will say, determine if my hope has been informed by faith or by fear. Now, would you, would you do the one, Gabe, that I altered and I, I put two uh, words in parentheses? I think I sent that to you, did I? Yeah, right after the word faith and fear, there should be two words in parentheses. Tell me if you got that. Green light, red light, yellow light. Yellow light is coming, okay. That's great. You need to see this because some things are going to get your phones out. I'm serious. You need to take a picture of this next thing because it's going to tell you how it works. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. No, that's not it. The, uh, go back to the other one. Okay. In your notes. Thank you, sir. That my next step uh, will determine if I've been formed by faith. The one that what I have on there is following faith in parentheses is conviction or fear. That one. That's the one. That's the one you need a picture of. Why is that? We're just going to hang here for a second. My every next step as a believer will tell me if my hope has been informed by faith, which means, Lord, I'm committed to your word. What you said about me is in me, and I'm taking a next step to intersect with that promise of being all that you've called me to be. Watch. If I, my next step is by fear, my first will reflection is, I can't do that. God, I failed back here five years ago. I've been divorced, hurt, beat up, abandoned, abused, whatever the case may be. You see, our next thought tells me where the faith is at work. My every next step will determine if my faith has been, excuse me, if my hope has been formed by conviction 
or condemnation. That are the substitution words for those two words. Faith results in conviction, pulling me forward to what I might be. Condemnation results in fear, pulling me backwards to the acts of the sin, the flesh, and my past. Everybody got that? I can't, I would, I could literally come here, I mean this, and preach that message every Sunday because if you got a handful of people, forget a church full, if you got a handful of people that dared to believe the voice of the Spirit inside them rising up and crushing the voice of fear that says you can't go there. And if we stand at any time when hope has been challenged, when hope has been threatened, and we're facing a new year more like bated breath waiting to exhale, like, okay, these last two years have been crazy. What's 2022 going to be? Here comes the prophecy that I didn't finish a moment ago. I believe that 2022 is going to be a year of significant transition and season change in our lives, what we do. You say, what does that mean? I don't know yet. The second thing, I believe it's going to be a year of jubilee. I've never said, I've written songs about jubilee. I've taught about it. I've written sermons other people have taught. I'm not waving my, my, my hands. I'm not just using that word because you hear jubilee, 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 hallelujah. Jubilee was the unexpressed and unembraced act of worship of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, not only that there was a sabbatical, which was a type of jubilee, but one year in every 49, that they would just stop everything. They wouldn't plow, plant water. God says, don't touch the ground. I'm gonna cause the residue and overflow that comes from it to be more than you've had in any previous year. But there is no record of them ever celebrating jubilee one time. When Jesus stood up, watch this, because on that day, what was supposed to happen as the sun would set on the day of atonement, which is when in that 50th year jubilee was to begin, a priest would blast the trumpet, the, the sound of a ram's horn, indicating as the sun set, unlike us in the West, a new day had become, and for them, a year of jubilee. But that horn never sounded. But when Jesus gets, watch this, when he walks into the temple, out of the wilderness, picks up the book, opens up Isaiah 61, and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, the favorable year of our God and the day of vengeance of our Lord. That word favorable year of our God is the phrase that refers to jubilee. Now you're gonna find out why the Pharisees got so upset when he read that, go to Luke 3, Matthew 3, when he said the favorable year of our Lord because he said liberty to captives and freedom. That word there, that word there is the unique word used only five times in all the Bible and it's the word that uniquely and restrictively defines not just any type of freedom but jubilee freedom, not just any kind. The, God, the, 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 the jubilee freedom that says all the debts of the past are canceled, the things that you've lost that should have yours are been given back. You see, Jesus said jubilee came, and beloved, here's the short version of it right here. Jubilee came through the cross. There was a trumpet blast across the corridors of time and space when the last oath and covenant was made. And when the person who lifted up holy hands in oath and covenant wasn't Abraham, but the Son of God. And the Son of God made a pledge, I believe, an oath and agreement with the Father. Father, when I go and take on flesh, I will come against that which will overwhelm me so greatly. I know that I need to begin and inaugurate the final covenant with uplifted hands between heaven and earth like Father Abraham did. But Father, 
Father, I'm going to be beaten, struck. I'm going to be stabbed. I'm going to be taken advantage of. I'm going to be accused, bruised, battered, and broken. So what do we say this? This covenant cannot fail, Father. My hands cannot fall down. They have to stay in place. And so if there's a chance or a moment that they may fall down, what do you say we just nail them up so that they will stay there? They will not fall down. They will be extended. And that is the language that is used to convey the covenant and the power of the cross. If hell would have known what they were doing, they'd have never nailed his hands up. Because uplifted hand meant only one thing. A covenant had been inaugurated, and this one could not be challenged. Initiated by the Son of God himself, and yes, I know what my wife said at home, you are seeing now becoming prophetically true. This is a lot. I get it. Look at the person next to you and say, hang on. Just tell them. (sighs) Hope without expectation in the biblical sense, I don't have this up here for you. Hope without expectation is just a wish. But hope with expectation is faith in the grip of conviction. God, you put something in me. See, and I'm believing for that unseen point of promise to become a reality, that I will become the son of God, the daughter of God, the mother, the father, the wife, the husband in 2022, and that's ahead of me, because of what you put in me, you wanna bring out of me, and it will be seen. Hope with expectation requires something of substance, and of course that brings us full circle. Faith is the substance, conviction for your hopes. And of course, what does this have to do with Christmas? Romans chapter 15, stay with me. Several scripture right now. Again, Isaiah says, verse 12, Romans 15, verses 12 and 13. Just listen to me. Again, Isaiah says, he's referring to the prophet, there shall come the root of Jesse. By the way, Jesse was King David's father. King David's father and Jesus Christ was in the lineage of Jesse and King David. And boy, is that a fascinating story that goes all the way back to the book of Ruth. Uh, Just an amazing story that, you know, It's not random stuff. When you get to know the word, you really ought to read the Bible. When you get to know it and and you see what's there, it's like, okay, well, this is just a matter of blind faith. There really is stuff here uh, uh, that that lays out a path where this becomes a point of truth and reality. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come from the root of Jesse or the descendant of David, he who arises to rule over the Gentiles and and in him shall the Gentiles, here it comes, hope. We're that group. We have hope because of one thing. A savior came and a savior died. Watch the language right here. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been included. Now may the God of hope, I love this, fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound with, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The prophet prophesies of the coming of the Messiah born in a manger. The prophet prophesies of the coming Messiah and says, here is your source of hope. That's what we experience this year something that causes me to look to the unseen that's not yet fully realized, and I live in the grip of the possibilities of what might be rather than the condemnation of what has been. Christmas is that point of liberation, and I love that it comes at the end of our year as we launch into a new one. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Watch this language. I want you, I'm going to go ahead and give it away. I want you to see two words. I want you to watch the words promise and oath. Promise and oath. For when God made the promise to Abraham, the promise to Abraham comes in three places, Genesis 12, 15, and 17. 
But the one he's referring to here, I believe, is in chapter 15. Remember when, look here, when Jamie was standing there and I referred to Abraham lifting his hand on earth, that's Genesis 14. In chapter 15, he makes another promise. Chapter 12, he says, I will make you. I will bless you. I I think there's five I will statements in those opening things. I will, I will, I will. And Abraham says, all right, that's awesome, God. Where's it going to happen? He says, well, you got to go out to a land that you can't see. Isn't it amazing how God's next faith promise that invokes hope always causes us to take a step into the unseen that we don't know about? The realization of the promise of God is every place you haven't been, not the places you have. He's taking you, and you're going to step out in an unseen fashion. Boy, I really wish I had weeks to develop that about what does that look like in my job? Again, as a husband, wife, son, daughter, employee, employer, what does it look like that I'm going to take steps based on unseen stuff rather than measurable realities from my past? Again, verse 13 Um, verse 13 of Hebrews 6, for when God made a promise to Abraham, there's the key word, since he could swear, there's that oath, swearing an oath language, by no one greater, he swore by himself. This is funny. This is really funny. Matter of fact, in just checking into that again and refreshing myself on this oath language, uh, Ezekiel probably grabs one that we're most familiar with because God swears by himself all throughout. He says, I'll swear by myself. Why? Because in the Near Eastern ancient culture, you always look to someone greater. Matter of fact, you'll hear it show up in language like this. Uh, um, Yeah, that really happened. Ask Brenda. Why, my word's not good enough? (laughs) That really happened. Ask so-and-so. You see, we still use that. We bring greater weight to the situation by bringing a witness or another name. Watch what happens. Watch the verse of Scripture. For when God made the promise to Abraham... He could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself. He would say, listen, I I got great things to tell you, and they really are true and awesome, and if you don't believe me, believe me. How many know that sounds sounds silly? But God says, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I tell you, it is true. See, Ezekiel takes that phrase six or seven times, the prophet Ezekiel, and he uses a a word, a phrase, I I didn't realize that he did this until this morning, uh, refreshing myself on it, and I realized, well, there's a phrase I grew up hearing in the South. Anybody ever said that, heard this? Watch. They face something and just sort of aghast, they'll say, as I live and breathe. <laughs> heard that all my life. I didn't know that was a Bible term. Ezekiel, six times he addresses God speaking. He says, thus says the Lord, as I live. God is saying, I'm still making an oath and a promise and I'm swearing on the basis of the substance of who I am. Is it not then important why at the end of the Bible, Jesus picks up the language and he says, I am he who is, who was, and is to come. And I didn't misquote that. When Jesus says it, he says is first. The other writers say who was and is and is to come. But I've said this about 20 times. When God, when Jesus describes the essence of sort of his existential essence or however you want to say it, He doesn't start with was, he starts with is. Why? Because he's a relational God. We left him standing on the edge of the east of Eden in the garden, and he was still wanting relationship. So when he shows up to say who he is, he said, I want you to know that I'm the God that starts where you is. I don't start where you was. I'm going to start where you where you is. Because if I can start where you is, and you accept that possibility of me relating to you right now where you is, I'm going to take care of what was, and I'm going to tell you what is going to be, you got it covered. Because I'm the God who is to meet you in your ears. I take care of was, who was, and I will be the God that is to come. How many know you're going to be okay when you stand in front of him at the end of the days for that final judgment? Because it will be Jesus Christ we stand before. 
I want you to look at the pe- person next to you and say, you're going to be okay. Come on. Let's keep going. Okay, he swore by himself, verse 14, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. There's that word again. For some men, uh, for men swear by one greater than themselves, but, and with them an oath, here it comes, the swearing and the oath, that uplifted hand thing, in, as confirmation at the end of every dispute. In the same way, desiring more to show the heirs of promise, that's us, the unchangeableness, I like immutability of, of King James, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. Listen, look at me. There's two words that appear there. Don't have time for these either, promise and purpose. Hallelujah. I'll turn to the person, and you're going to say it right out of your mouth right now. Look at the person next to you and say, God's promise to you always has everything to do with his purpose in you. God's promise to you is connected to his purpose in you, always, okay? Let's keep going. In the same way, verse 17, God desiring even more to show the heirs of promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. There's the two words, promise and oath. Let's keep reading. So that by two unchangeable things, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope, here it comes, set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. You know, I love that because this phrase where hope is used, it uses two nautical terms. One has to do with how you steer the boat to get it to its destination, and the other one has to do with how you anchor a boat so it doesn't move in a storm. Somebody hear me this morning. Beloved, that's the hope that God puts in us. I can make it there. I can get there from here. And whatever storm blows, I know I can survive it and get through it to the other side. What does that? Hope. 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 Hope keeps you moving in the direction of the realization of promise. Hope anchors you so that when the storms blow, it will not have the final word. Hope will. Mm, I know it's a lot. Apologizing already. The two unchangeable things that God mentions here, every commentator agrees, is promise and oath. Those are sort of vague. What are they? Again, the definition of this, uh, I'm going to skip ahead, Gabe, just a little bit. Uh, The promise, oh, I got it right at the end. I'm giving away the end of the story here. Hang on one second. Where did it go? Oh, next page. Watch. I did send it to you. See, God spoke to Gabe even though I didn't know he did. Can we get this? Because I'm making a massive leap here. This is covenantal language. The promise came in a manger. The oath was through the cross. That's, that's, that is really deeply theological statement. If you take that little theological Alka-Seltzer and drop it in some water, it's going to fizz for a long time. The cross, based upon the Old Testament, they're called Zutzer and Vassal Treaties. Anytime a covenant or a promise was sealed, it required the blood, the lifeblood of a creature, which opens the door to the Old Testament sacrificial systems that point to the blood of the Lamb of God who made the once and for all, the book of Hebrews says, final sacrifice, his blood was the payment. Watch again. The promise came in a manger. 
The oath was through a cross. Years ago, I, I said this, and, and matter of fact, it is still the banner page on my Facebook page. The manger is where light was born. The cross is where darkness died. The manger is where light was born. The cross is where darkness died. I wish I had weeks. I do have weeks. We're going to talk about that, to tell you about that. Luke chapter 1, uh, as a matter of fact, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Watch the language that I think is so compelling, and we're going to finish right here. Okay? Verse 5. In the days of Herod, <clears throat> king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Everybody say Zechariah. Of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. It will go on to say they were both advanced in the age. In age, it speculated they were somewhere around 80 or 85 years old. What goes on after verse 5 is in, the angel Gabriel appears to him as he's ministering before the Lord and says, you're going to have a child. And he goes, dude, clearly you forgot how old I am. But he speaks to him here. See, the word Zechariah is the name that means remembered of the Lord. Or I'm going to honor my promise. Watch how the scripture works. Please get this. The name of Elizabeth literally means the oath of God. I love how God drops these little things in our life as little sprink and seasoning of grace and truth that's happening around us. He said, now, now what's going to happen is when the remembered of the Lord, the promise, comes together with the oath, it's going to give birth to John the Baptist that prepares the way of the Lord. Beloved, can I tell you the moment at which you begin to believe that the God of the promise is the God of the oath who made a final statement through the cross, the quicker you're going to see a pathway being prepared for you to take that next step. But it is an act of hope that says, Father, I'm not just wishing, I'm acting on it. I'm acting on it as a husband, wife, son, daughter, mom, dad, employee, employer. I'm taking steps now. Hear the closing words, if you will, of Zechariah nine months later when he said, when the baby's born, he hasn't been able to talk for nine months because when he failed to believe Gabriel, Gabriel says, you won't be able to speak for nine months. And uh, it's a fascinating, you should read the whole chapter every year at least, it's fascinating. Several verses here, verse 67. And his father, the baby was born, John the Baptist was born. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Verse 68 are the first words he's spoken, and I've said this to you for 20 years because I've been teaching it longer than that, that I believe in verse 68 he's been thinking about, man, what should I have said when Gabriel said, you're going to have a son? You don't know how old I am. So he's been sitting there thinking, if I ever get another chance, tell the person next to you, you serve the God of another chance. Tell them that. Come on, please. I believe for nine months in his silence, he can't speak. <laughs> in his silence, he can't speak. I believe he's been sitting there saying, if I ever get another chance, if I ever get a second chance. Verse 68 is essentially a rewind back that the first words, I'm going to say what I should have said. Watch. When Gabriel shows up and says, Zechariah, priest of the most high God, or however an angel's voice would sound certainly without southern, southeastern United States inflection, I imagine. You're going to have a child. See, he'd been sitting there for nine months and said, can I have a do-over? So the first thing that comes out of it, you're about to have a child, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God and Father. Let me see what happened here. I think it's hilarious. 
He's been thinking about this line for nine months. What I should have said. Anybody ever, everybody felt that little grief one nanosecond after you just didn't do what you should have or did do what you shouldn't have? If I ever get a do-over, I love it that God is the God of do-overs. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Just imagine the possibilities, Jamie, if he'd have said that back to Gabriel. I don't know. I think Gabriel might have danced or something. I, I don't know. Instead of saying, shut up, and not only shut up, you can't speak for nine months. He has raised up, I'm going to continue, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, and we're going to end there. Salvation from our enemies and from all the hand who hate, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That's promise and oath. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of God with which the sun rises from on high, here we come back to the light shines, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Promise came in a manger, oath came through a cross. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 2. I want to start at verse 2, actually. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Worship team, I'm done here. Those who live in darkness, uh, live in a dark light, land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of the burden and staff, my goodness, I love this passage, on their shoulders. These are promises to us that come through the birth of the Savior. It started in a manger, hallelujah, but it was in our grip through the cross, hallelujah. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood for, will be for burning fuel for fire. All this came to pass. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Beloved. Hope is believing, the light will shine, even when everything is still dark. Hope is believing that a light will shine. As we posture ourselves towards 2022, I'm looking to 2022, I'll be 65 years old, next birthday, May 1st. I, I, I wanna say at the very bottom essence of my heart, that I am making a statement, not in a moment when in my life I'm at an all-time high physically, whatever it may be. Like you, I've walked through these years. I've cried, prayed, and preached at more funerals in the last year, two years, than I did in the previous 10. I've watched that. I've prayed more prayers for deliverance and for God's intervention that I didn't see happen here. 
what's been fully realized in God's presence, and that's not a token conciliatory thing. I believe that. But can I tell you, at 65, soon to be, I'm standing with a sense of expectancy and realization for the year 2022 that literally has me in its grip. And what I mean by that, it's not a a sense of feeling, Glenn, that I can uh, that I can issue forth by reeling by, by by reason of my physical state or just a psychological state. What, what, what you're faithless? No, I have faith. I'm just saying, faith is acting on it when you don't feel it. And I'm telling you, this thing has found me in its grip. It's easy to be gripped by it when you're at a high time. I'm not. Stuff going in my body, I've had pray about it, keeps me awake worse than ever, and I don't sleep anyways. And I've had every kind of test in the world, and they still say, you're bleeding somewhere inside, we can't find it. And I said, okay. I believe God's going to handle it, I do. It causes pain and discomfort and just crazy stuff. But in the midst of all of this, and, and, and again, I'm, don't hear me saying, oh, bro, like that's supposed to be the biggest thing. Do you know what I've walked through? No, I don't. I'm just telling you the truth. But I tell you, I believe that this is something being done by the Spirit because it's not the fruit of my own uh, manic, emotional, or spiritual state. Everybody get what I'm talking about? I'm telling you, 2022, I'm going to declare to you. You're going to see things change that you've prayed for so long, and that season has never come. It's coming. It's a year of jubilee. When you are going to see God, listen to me, make provision in fields that you haven't plowed in years. All of a sudden, you're going to go and you're going to say, it's growing. I haven't put a shovel or a plow or a prayer to that field in a decade. And look, it's growing. In the same way that the angel showed up to Gabriel, Drew, and said, I know you haven't prayed this prayer in 40 years, but you're about to have a baby. 2022 is that year that's going to overflow with a realization of hope that God makes good on, not you. It's going to be a year of change, season, fruitfulness, harvest, a year of jubilee. I'm going to say again, when things grow and are harvested, where you have not put a foot or an ounce of energy to cultivate. Anybody hear what I'm saying? That's the hope we live in. Stand to your feet or I'll keep talking and you'll really miss Cracker Barrel. Come on. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.